Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Tonight, today we're talking about a divine ordinance. Let's pray. Father, it's with thankful and grateful hearts we approach your throne this morning, knowing that you're a wonderful, loving, caring Heavenly Father who cares for your children. And we thank you so much for all that you've done for us in Christ to bring us to this place of knowing you, walking with you, living for you, serving you. Thank you for revelation knowledge that flows into our being like a mighty river that transforms our lives from glory to glory. As we study your word this morning, give us ears to hear it, hearts to receive it, minds that are open to it. And as we're changed by it, Father, we purpose to go forth as ambassadors for Christ, carrying out the purpose of your will and proclaiming that Jesus saves, heals, delivers, sets free and makes whole. Father, I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost and give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to begin at John's Gospel, chapter 6. Some statements made by Jesus that some said are very hard to hear. So let's read them. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer so the world may live is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Now, after he made those statements, many of his followers just decided, I've had enough of this, and they left him. It was a saying that was too hard for them to hear. Why? Well, there could be a different uh, reasons. There could be different reasons. Well, first of all, we could say that they misunderstood and thought he was talking literally and not metaphorically. Also, they believed that they were told and taught under the law that you don't drink blood. We're not cannibals either. You don't eat human flesh. As a matter of fact, they were told you don't follow the pagan practices. The pagans, what they would do is they would take blood baths. And then also they would drink the blood of, let's say, of an animal or even of a figure, an individual who was a mighty warrior, because they really believed they can adapt the characteristics of the individual by drinking their blood. For example, you take a lion. You drink the blood of a lion, they believe that you could have the courage of a lion. You could have the strength of a lion. You could have the speed of a lion, and so on and so forth. Maybe a, a, a notable warrior. You know, you drink that person's blood, you're going to get, gain this power beyond human scope, is what they thought. Well, they were thinking in that direction. Jesus knew why they were around him. See, he just got done feeding the 5,000. 
And they enjoyed that meal so much they came back for the second course. And he knew that they were coming back for the wrong reason. And he said uh, he, he took their attention away from the, let's say, physical sustenance and had them focus on the spiritual sustenance and say, look, I'm going to share this with you. I'm going to compare myself to the manna that came down from heaven. Because, see, they said Moses gave us this manna. And Jesus said, no, Moses didn't give that to you. That was sent to you from my Father in heaven. He gave you the manna. And he said, like the manna that came down from heaven, I have come down from heaven, and I am the true bread of life. Unlike the manna that came down from heaven, you eat my flesh and drink my blood, it's eternal. But the manna that came down from heaven, you're satisfied until the next hunger pang comes along. So he's trying to instill within them an understanding that this is a spiritual thing that he's talking about, not physical. The Lord's Supper is something he instituted, and it's the most, one of the most significant ordinances in, of the church. He's the one that instituted his supper. It was the last Passover that he celebrated with his disciples, and on that evening, he instituted the Lord's Supper. Some say it's communion, and it's designed to commemorate two things, his death and his coming again. Those two things, his death and his coming again. Well, God expects us to celebrate this supper in an intimate way, recognizing those two things. Look in the book of 1 Corinthians uh, as we look at this, chapter 11, verse we're going to start with verse 23. I know 24 in your notes, but verse 23. This is a time that we celebrate Jesus and we commemorate his death and his coming again. And also we identify with our communion with him or identification with him. In these verses, we see that this is a divine ordinance instituted by the Lord himself. And he said this way, I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. So this came from Jesus himself. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. This was to be an ongoing practice or observance of this supper so that we could be reminded of all that he's done for us and appropriate all that he's done for us in his finished work on Calvary. Also to spend time of intimacy with the Father and also with one another as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Some churches, what they do is they celebrate ritualistically. At the end of a service... We just have it all the time. Some, believe it or not, and someone that shared this with me, I, I thought I was wrong at first. Like, you really do that? They set up, because it was a large church, they just set up where they, people can receive the elements of communion, and then as they leave the building, celebrate on their way out. Think about that. I don't believe that's what Jesus wanted. I believe he wanted the people to celebrate in such a way so as to, number one, remember all that he's done for us, but then also to experience community among ourselves. 
a oneness among ourselves. Look at that verse again in verse 26. There's three things here that touch base with all three tenses of human experience. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. The death is past tense. Till he come is the future tense. But then we're doing it now. And what is that? The present tense. So it touches all three tenses. Past, present, and future. So as we approach this supper, we're to remember those three things. The past, all that Jesus did for us in his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and so on. His coming again. We know that he's going to come again in clouds of glory. And as a matter of fact, what does the grace of God teach us? Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Looking for the appearing, he's going to come again. And you see, we have a motivation here. I should be motivated by his death. And what does that mean to me? And then his coming. I'm supposed to be looking for his coming. And it's to impact my living now. I'm doing something that is holy in the sight of Almighty God and meaningful because this incorporates everything that Jesus did. All that God did for mankind is wrapped up in this celebration and this supper right here this morning. So God wants us not just to take it haphazardly and flippantly and run out the door with it and toss it down while we're driving down the highway. And also, if you recall, if you back up some of these verses before this all came out, the Corinthian church, they were having different groups and sects gathering together. This group over here, they were wealthy, and so they had these elaborate meals. And this group over here, they're not wealthy, they're poor, and they have the little bit to eat. These people are stuffed. Those people are starving. And he said, look, don't you have houses to eat in? Why don't you eat before you come to church? When you come to church, then consider one another and have all things equal. That's what he said. You're not doing it the right way. That's not what God intended. He wants there to be an understanding of our intimacy with God himself based on the finished work of Christ and then the brotherhood of Christianity. How we love one another and care for one another and provide for one another and help one another. And so that was being, not being done. And so he kind of corrected that within the church. Now, so it's a divine ordinance established by our Lord, instituted by our Lord, for the purpose of remembering his death, remembering his coming again, and then having it impact the way we live our lives here today. Secondly, it's an ordinance of examination. We're to examine ourselves. Look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. First in the King James and then from the New Living. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eats and drinks damnation or judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And that, look at the uh, New Living Translation. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's something that we're doing to ourselves. Think about that. You're actually eating and drinking judgment or upon yourself by, let's say, unworthily participation. Well, we don't want to do that. We want to avoid that. 
Amen? In verse 30 of that same text, look at this. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. So let's put these three things together. I am supposed to honor the body of Christ. We are all supposed to honor the body of Christ. The body of Christ, I do believe here, is a threefold body. Number one, it's the literal body of Christ. Number two, it's the collective or corporate body of Christ. Number three, it is the individual, personal body of Christ. So if we want to participate in a worthy manner, then we want to acknowledge all three of those aspects of the body of Christ. So let's say we start with um, the personal, individual body of Christ. What am I supposed to examine? As a person who is a child of God, who is a member in the body of Christ, who is actually the body of Christ, I'm to examine myself. If I don't examine myself, then the Bible says, then God will have to judge me. But if we examine ourselves, then praise God, we identify where we're at, how our walk is with the Lord, and we have rightly discerned the Lord's body. You and I are the temple of the Most High God individually. Am I living my life in a way that pleases God? I am the temple. You are the temple of the living God where he said, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. For I will live in you and dwell in you and I will walk in you and you shall be, I'll be your God and you shall be my people. So in other words, as an individual in the body of Christ, I have responsibilities to be an ambassador for Christ here upon this earth and live my life in such a way so as to be pleasing to God. Not a people pleaser, not a self pleaser, but a God pleaser. I choose to please the living God whom I serve. So that's up to us to make a decision as an individual. Am I doing my part? Now, does that, does that mean perfection? Absolutely not. No one can ever achieve sinless perfection while you're living your life here upon this earth, no matter who you are, because you're living in fallen flesh. Unless anybody out there have glorified flesh yet? No? Okay. We're not there yet, right? So as an individual, I acknowledge I am the body of Christ, and Christ is living in me the hope of glory, and I want to conduct myself in such a way so as to work out my own salvation with what? Fear and trembling, because I am an ambassador for Christ. But then secondly, there is the corporate or the collective body of Christ. Here we have the corporate and collective body of Christ. Every single one of us is a member in particular within the body of Christ. And as the scripture says, we need one another. The head can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. We all need each other. We all need to take our place and do our part within the collective body of Christ. You know, ever since COVID has hit, we've seen a lot of shifting and changing in mentality. Would you agree? And don't get me wrong, I'm not opposed to anybody that, you know, has concerns about gathering with other people and, and that sort of thing. But I think at some point that needs to wane and we begin to recognize and realize that the body of Christ really needs to be together like this. Okay, thank God for what we can do with live streaming. We appreciate that. And it was a tremendous tool when we couldn't gather together, right? I'll never forget those days I preached to those puppets that were out there. I guess you could look at it two different ways. There was no feedback whatsoever. <laughs> uh -huh. 
Nobody was praising whatsoever, but no one criticizing either whatsoever. Then we got those pictures, those cutouts. Remember the cutouts? Priests of the cutouts, the puppets, and all that. What a different mentality that was to try to stand up here and preach to all those creatures that were out there. But once again, it seems like there was a lingering effect now. And you know what? It's, it's time to walk in faith and not fear. How about, would you say amen to that? God brought us through it. It's almost like the Y2K is coming around and the world's going to come to an end and you've got to get underground and you've got to get water. You've got to get all these packets and all that. People were gung-ho and they were all doing it and all that. How long ago was that? 23 years ago. And guess what? We're still here. Right? We're still here. The fear was needless. It sold a lot of books, made a lot of people wealthy. But you know what? It was needless. Thank God that we are in Him. But here's my point. In the body of Christ, we need one another. And you need everyone in the body of Christ and everyone needs you. We all need to take our place and do our part. Because God has gifted you, whether it's the talent, the ability you've got to play a keyboard, the drums, the guitar. Uh, you've got a great voice like I have. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you've got a great voice like these praisers have, you use it to the glory of God to advance His kingdom in the earth. You help out in the uh, children's ministry. You help out with this, the parking lot ministry, whatever it could be, whatever it might be. God needs every single one of us to advance His kingdom in the earth. He needs us all to get out there in the highways and byways of life and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we get all that energy from right here as we gather ourselves together and draw from each other we want to honor the Lord and let him know that, yes, I know I'm an individual member of the body of Christ, but also I'm a team member in the body of Christ. And I need them and they need me. Amen. There are no unused members in the body of Christ. But then thirdly, there is the literal body of Christ. And I believe all three of these must be understood. The literal body of Christ. We can't neglect this. He said, as long as you do this, you're remembering my death and you're remembering I'm coming again and let that impact your living today. But let's look at his death. You see, the death brings us to the next ordinance. It's an ordinance of healing. Look in the scriptures, 1 Peter 2, verse 24, who his own self bear our sins and his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sin should live to righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. What a statement. What a verse of scripture. He's calling upon us to remember that he died a death. That's incomprehensible. He suffered. Suffering that's incomprehensible. It's beyond our ability to even understand the depth of what he suffered. All we can do is appreciate it and then apply it to our lives. Look in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, because here we have some insight about what took place. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. 
the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Brother, if you could pull that up on the Amplified, I'd appreciate that, AMPC, while I'm talking. Notice Isaiah referring to the finished work of Christ on Calvary. On that cross, surely he bore our sicknesses, he carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. How much of this do we see? Let's read it from the Amplified. Surely he has borne our griefs, sicknesses, weaknesses, and distresses. He carried our pains of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God as if with leprosy. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being was upon him. And with his stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. What a good time to shout. Hallelujah. All this was placed on him. Every bit of it. So that we could come out from beneath the curse of it all. I realize it's a challenge for all of us. It would be wonderful if we lived in 25-year-old bodies for the rest of our lives. Wouldn't that be great? Huh? Wouldn't that be nice? be nice if your teeth never decayed. Wouldn't that be nice also? Mm-hmm. be great, wouldn't it? Right. The point is, in order for us to have an eternity of health, it took someone to eradicate sickness and disease in the sacrifice of himself. On that tree... He became what we were so that we could become what he is. He took the brunt of it all upon himself so that we can have freedom from Adam's awful curse. It had, had to be done. Someone had to do it. He couldn't just arbitrarily move us into his eternal kingdom free from all this stuff without somebody paying the sacrificial price. And that somebody was Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? It is a sacrifice that he made, and it's an ordinance of healing. Praise God. Look at Matthew 8, because there are those skeptics out there that, oh, I don't know why it is, but of course there's a devil out there that really infiltrate people's minds with garbage. They say, Isaiah wasn't talking about physical sickness. He was just talking about, you know, freedom from sin. Okay. Let's see what Isaiah, I mean, what... Matthew has to say about what Isaiah said. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. He cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Again, the Greek word there talks about physical sickness. That why? It might be fulfilled what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, himself took our infirmities and he bare our sicknesses. Say with me, he bore my infirmities. He bore my sicknesses. Say it again, he carried my pains and my sicknesses and made me whole. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You see, in this supper, there is healing. In this supper, there is deliverance. 
I realize sometimes we like the, you know, the spectacular, supernatural, whatever, when you lay hands on people and they get healed and all that. Thank God for all that. But I'm telling you right now, right there, right there in that supper, there is healing. There is wholeness. You know how I know? Because he said, for this cause, many of you are weak, sickly, and die prematurely if you partake of it unworthily. Well, if you partake of it worthily, it produces what? Health. Strength. Longevity. If we take it properly. So, without a doubt, understanding Jesus' sacrifice helps us to worthily participate in this supper. It leaves us out of the equation and picture. It has nothing to do with us other than acknowledging it, recognizing it, and saying, I'm appropriating it in my life. Now, look at Psalm 105, because it's, this is how we tie it together with what he said about Moses and the manna from coming down from heaven. He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. So in other words, when they came out, the Exodus talks about them coming out of Egyptian bondage. The night before, they had to take the sacrificial lamb. They had to roast it. They had to eat it. They had to take the blood and apply it to the doorpost and lintel of the house, right? And when the death angel passed over, anyone that had the blood, when they saw the blood, your firstborn lived, survived. And so therefore, by partaking of the body of the sacrificial lamb, there was not one feeble person among their tribes. No matter what their age was, no matter what their condition was, everyone that participated in the, uh, the eating of the sacrificial lamb were made healthy and whole. That's the type. That is the type. If the type can produce that kind of wholeness in people's lives, how much more can the antitype do what? Provide for us the healing that we need in our bodies. We need to do this properly so we can tell our bodies, body, line up with the Word of God. You talk to your body, line up to the Word of God. Someone says, your pants are long. I said, no, I just shrunk. <laughs> they used to fit me. <laughs> the, <laughs> the older that we get, things happen. Can you say amen to that? Yeah. You know, when you're a young person, they say, don't grow old. Why? It's not fun. Yeah, yeah, and you're laughing. Oh, yeah, you know, old people and all that. Then you hit around 70, 71, 72, 78 years old, and you just, and you just go, ooh, they knew what they were talking about. You just have a bigger challenge, you see. But notice what he said. Can, can you put that verse up again, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty? Can you pull that up again? Look at this verse. For this cause... For what cause? You're not rightly discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak, many are sick, and many die premature death. Because why? Not discerning the Lord's body. So his body is threefold, individually, collectively, and literally. And so when we start really honing in on the fact that this Lord's Supper is more powerful than the sacrificial land that took place when they came out of Egypt. And we can start drawing from its, the strength of it and appropriating what belongs to us. 
I'm not saying it's easy for anybody, praise God, because your body, you know, it's, it's having its own way and its own mind and all that because we understand the law of sin and death is still in operation. But there's a higher law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that liberates us from the law of sin and death. Amen? So when we participate, this isn't just a uh, flipping thing that we're going to do, just get through this, get the church service over. Can I meddle a little bit? I get your permission? We don't believe in transubstantiation. There are some sects that believe in what is called transubstantiation. And they, that means that this bread becomes the literal body of Christ, and that cup becomes the literal blood of Christ. His body, his actual body, and his actual blood. Jesus never taught that. Matter of fact, his body was still there when he held it up and said, This is my body. It was symbolic which is broken for you. And this cup represents the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. That's what he said. So you see, once again, I remember just waiting. You couldn't wait till communion because then you're out the door. Had your keds on. Anybody know what keds are? Go way back in years ago. That was the, that was the Nike of the day. <laughs> I got a new pair of kids, tennis shoes. I wore them at church because when communion hit, mm, I'm out the back door. Faster than you can blink an eye. You had to sit through the whole thing and you felt so bored. And then, boom, it's time for, oh, thank God. Let's get this over with. And then, shoo. You know, when you don't really know Christ, you could be in church all you want, but it's not here. Know what I'm talking about? This is an exciting but yet a solemn occasion. Oh, this is all of redemption wrapped up into this one supper. My body and my blood. My body broken for you and my blood shed for you. And as often as you do it, remember me. Lastly, this is an ordinance of forgiveness. An ordinance of forgiveness. Look at Matthew's gospel. This is an ordinance of of forgiveness, and I'll tell you what, we better shout on this one. Look at what it says here in Matthew 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many, for the what? The what of sins? Remission. remission of sins. Oh, no, not just the forgiveness of sins, but the remission of sin. Listen, under the old covenant, their sins were covered from year to year. And there was a remembrance of their sin from year to year. Their sins could be covered over, but they could not be remitted, which means removed and no longer exist. And as long as the old tabernacle was standing and the old covenant was in force, there was always a reminder or remembrance of sin from year to year. It could never clear the conscience of an individual of guilt. So no matter what, you carry that with you all your days. The high priest going in year after year reminding us he could never obtain eternal redemption, could never obtain remission of sin. So it just it was an ongoing process. And for all these years, that's what they lived under. 
But lo and behold, Jesus came and said, that's enough for this one. This, this is the last Passover. I am now becoming your Passover, and I don't provide just the covering for sin. I provide the remission of sin, the removal of sin. It means I will never, ever remember your sin ever again because it does not exist. Hallelujah. Glory to God. This is called the better blood, the better covenant. Look in the book of Hebrews, what it says here. After saying that God didn't accept the uh, animal sacrifices, the blood of animals, because it was impossible to make the comers there perfect. For by one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, if someone ever tells you you're not perfect, say, I am perfected. <laughs> I am perfected. Someone perfected me. Who did? Jesus. For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also was a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws to their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. There's no more offering for sin. There's no more penance. There's no more something I got to do to get rid of the guilt of sin. See, when I was growing up, I had to do that. I had to do all this penance. I had to do these prayers. I had to do, go home and do the dishes. I don't know how doing dishes would help you get rid of your sin. I think, that, I think mom met with them and told them some of these things. You have your dad do this and your mom do that, and then you're forgiven. Oh, really? Got your, you know, got a noose around your neck. You're like, you, you got to do all this. You want forgiveness, then you got to do all this. Could never achieve forgiveness of sins. Could never achieve remission of sins. And there was always something you had to do on your part. Well, guess what? You don't have to do it. Someone did it for you. He removed it. He remitted our sins. Where this blood's been shed, there's no more remission of sins. There's no remembrance of I mean, there's no remembrance of sin because they're remitted. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Qualifications. We'll close with qualifications. And this is... Really, it is an ordinance that one must be qualified to participate in. And it's not, not huge. Mm -mm. One must be born again. And one must be just in fellowship with the Lord. It's as simple as that. In other words, I know Jesus is my Savior. I'm born again. I'm not uh, living in any known sin. I am not holding, let's say, unforgiveness or bitterness within my heart toward anybody. I'm not involved in any form of immorality or anything like that. I'm walking in fellowship with my Lord. I qualify to participate. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. This is just an example. These two would be disqualified from participating. If this was the Corinthian church and they were sitting in somewhere here in the, in the sanctuary and it's time to celebrate the Lord's Supper, these two would be disqualified from participating. Okay? They could get it right and participate. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So you see the scenario. There it is right there. And what does Paul say? You've not done anything about this. And they're going to just come in and act like everything is okay. We're living in a society and a culture right now where it seems like everything goes in churches and just nothing but just go there, put your time in, and just get out. And don't tell me how to live or what to do. 
Because now you're putting me under the guilt of the law and you're becoming legalistic. How many of you know that serving God from the heart involves obeying him and allowing him to be the one to call the shots and tell us what's right and what's wrong? And I was, as I was looking at that situation, you know the situation, when they were turned over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh so that their spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord, they were excommunicated from the church. It took them to the point of death to repent. Because you see, those temporal, natural things that we think are so wonderful and important, when it comes to facing eternity, guess what? It's not that important anymore. They got it right. They repented. And they were reinstated in the church in 2 Corinthians and allowed to participate in the Lord's Supper. So we should never take anything like this lightly, flippantly, or just run out the door with it and just say, oh, oh get yours open. They get mine open. Yet, no. Intimacy with him and intimacy of fellowship and appropriating what that represents. In the process of studying this out, I want to read these scriptures to you. I, I hesitated, but I, I want to show, I want to impact all of us here so that we can impact others that are out there. I did this a long time ago, but I forgot about these verses of Scripture. You know how you can do that if you don't read them over and over again? Listen to these verses of Scripture in the book of Numbers, chapter 5, to show us the sincerity of God, but to show us the seriousness of God. And when it comes to sinning against God and not walking with God. This is called the law of jealousy. Did you ever read, hear the law of jealousy? Okay. The Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Suppose that a man's wife goes astray and she's unfaithful to her husband and has sex with another man, but neither her husband nor anyone else <clears throat> knows about it. She has defiled herself, even though there was no witness, and she, has not, and she was not caught in the act. If her husband becomes jealous and is suspicious of his, of his wife and needs to know whether or not she has defiled herself, the husband must bring, her, uh, bring his wife to the priest. He must also bring an offering of two quarts of barley flour to be presented on her behalf. Do not mix it with olive oil or frankincense, for it is a jealousy offering, an offering to prove whether or not she is guilty. The priest will then present her to stand trial before the Lord. He must take some holy water and, in a clay jar and pour it into dust, pour into it dust he has taken from the tabernacle floor. That sounds inviting. When the priest has presented the woman before the Lord, he must unbind her hair and place in her hands the offering of proof, the jealousy offering to determine whether her husband's suspicions are justified. The priest will stand before her holding the jar of bitter water that brings a curse to those who are guilty. The priest will then put the woman under oath and say to her, if no other man has had sex with you and you have not gone astray and defiled yourself while under your husband's authority, may you be immune to, from the effects of this bitter water that brings on the curse. But if you have gone astray by being unfaithful to your husband and have defiled yourself by having sex with another man, at this point, the priest must put the woman under oath by saying, may the people know that the Lord's curse is upon you when he makes you infertile, causing your womb to shrivel and your abdomen to swell. Now may this water that brings the curse enter your body and cause your abdomen to swell and your womb to shrivel. And the woman will be required to say, yes, let it be so. And the priest will write these curses on a piece of leather and wash them off into the bitter water. He will make the woman drink the bitter water that brings on the curse. 
When the water enters her body, it will cause bitter suffering if she is guilty. The priest will take the jealousy offering from the woman's hand, lift it up before the Lord, and carry it into to the... Okay. <laughs> he will take a handful of the flour as a token portion and burn it on the altar... And he will require the woman to drink the water. If she has defiled herself by being unfaithful to her husband, the water that brings on the curse will cause bitter suffering. Her abdomen will swell, her, her womb will shrink, and her name will become a curse among her people. But if she has not defiled herself and is pure, then she will be unharmed and will still be able to have children. This is the ritual law for dealing with suspicion. If a woman goes astray and defiles herself while under her husband's authority, or if a man becomes jealous and suspicious that his wife has been unfaithful, the husband must present his wife before the Lord. And the priest will apply this entire ritual to her, for the husband will be innocent of any guilt in this matter, but his wife will be held accountable for her sin. Oh, my. Are you glad you don't live under the old covenant? Oh, my goodness. Listen to all that detail. It sounds barbaric. My whole point is, in the eyes of God, sin is real. And there are consequences for sin. And God doesn't want us to take it lightly. See, and that's what was happening. They were taking that sin lightly. They weren't even thinking that it had any effect. Just because a person isn't judged today doesn't mean they're not going to be judged tomorrow. And what Paul was saying was, look, this sin that's going on in your church, I don't know if the, if the husband was still there attending the same church, but they were living together. This was his stepmother. Father is still alive from what I understand. He had no regard for what whatsoever. God says, don't think I don't see this. You know. But first of all, can you take a woman of today's society to even submit to something like that? No. It's not going to happen. But look at the rules and the regulations that God laid down for relationships and many other things. So when we come together to celebrate this supper, we want to do so in a worthy manner. In other words, we want to do it worthily. That we are walking with God. We're born again. We're walking with Him. We're not harboring anything in our hearts towards anybody. We're living you know, in fellowship with the Lord, serving Him faithfully. Now, it's as simple as that. What's the effect of it? Health, strength, and longevity. And sometimes, okay, those are physical sins. But sometimes we don't recognize bitterness is spiritual. The root of bitterness defiles people. And I would say this, if you're better, either confess it or don't participate. Because you're opening up the door to weakness, sickness, and premature death. Amen. Is it okay to be this serious with the things of God? I don't want to have come somewhere where my ears are being tickled. It's okay. It doesn't matter what you do. Just take it, run off and do whatever. No. Mm -mm. No. You are the temple of a living God. As he said, I will dwell in you, walk in you. I'll be your God. You're going to be my people. Come out from among them, saith the Lord, and serve me with your life. And so that's why I believe he wants us to observe this. We do it quarterly. And at the end of the year, we do it with holidays like Thanksgiving. We add to that. Because we want every time we do this, it to be sincere and it to be solemn. 
and it to be in complete recognition of the fact that someone died for us, sacrificed his lifeblood for us. The second Adam died a horrific, horrendous death for us to bring us out of the realm of spiritual death and darkness and eternal destruction, judgment, and damnation in the lake of fire. And that someone that did all that for me is coming again. He's coming again. And what do those two things do? They impact my living for him right now. How am I living for him right now? So you see, that's what those two things do. So he says, when you do this, man, remember me.